The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Smallville Gazette, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, March 10th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Superman and Lois. Please welcome my co-host, Professor X. Hello again, Smallville. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 3, which was titled The Perks of Not Being a Wallflower, and aired March 9th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Clark shares some of his Kryptonian history with Jordan and Jonathan during a family breakfast. Lois and Chrissy dig deeper to uncover the truth about Morgan Edge. Um, let's check in on the ratings for Season 1, Episode 3. Superman and Lois was viewed by 1.24 million total viewers with a point three in the demo. It was steady uh, with last week. Um, that was an interesting... Because uh, that was from the official press release. Um, there, Clark did do stuff. There was family. There was a breakfast. There was Jordan and Jonathan. I don't know if there was Kryptonian history. But that is what the CW gave us, so we're going to go with it. Um, I do sometimes wonder if the people that write the press releases, the little synopses of the episodes, if uh, they actually watch the episode. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Anyway. All right. There were three storylines in this episode. There was basically Friday Night Lights. There was... Um, Lois's investigation into Morgan Edge, and then there was the Cushing family, um, I don't want to call it drama, but the Cushing family uh, crumbling, let's, let's call it like that. Um, let's start off with the Friday Night Lights uh, storyline, because that was pretty much the easiest and, and the most straightforward of, of them all. Uh, basically... Um, we see, uh, you know, there's still family tension uh, based off of what happened in the previous episode. Um, and uh, Jordan ends up trying out for football after getting picked on by all the jocks and that kind of stuff. And he's using his powers. Uh, they keep it a secret, they being the twins, from Clark. Clark finds out there's an issue with that. And by the end of it, though, uh, Jonathan goes to bat for Jordan, which allows Clark to open up to Jordan a little bit about his sort of um, maybe sports uh, dreams as a teen. And at the end of the episode, we have Jordan playing football with uh, Clark as, uh, it looks like he's the assistant coach or something like that. So uh, let's just talk all about this. Professor, what did you think of it? Um, were you surprised they went this route? Uh, do you like that they went this route? 
I do like it. You know, I think it's uh, it is helping to uh, to get Jordan out of his shell. Um, you know, uh, as Jonathan pointed out, he's making friends. You know, it, it may have started out as a revenge thing or proving thing. But I think we got that that real sense in the scene, uh, you know, before Clark showed up, uh, you know, where Jordan knocks down um uh, Sarah's ex-boyfriend and then, you know, offers him the hand up and apologizes. You know, that's that's showing, you know, a, a real growth of his character, um, you know, because he was a bit all over the map in this episode. You know, he he was, you know, shouting hateful things at his father and he was hiding stuff and then he was sullen and then everything seems fine again. So in other words, he was a teen. Um what I like really liked about this uh, is the way that, you know, Jonathan was the one helping him out because, uh, you know, it would have been a very easy trope, you know, and they sort of alluded to it with Jonathan saying, hey, you know, football is my thing and you're the one, you know, who's got superpowers and I don't have those superpowers. So, you know, could you just leave me the football? Um, but he doesn't. He, you know, he steps up, goes to his dad and says, look, I think this is really good for him. And uh, uh, I think it would be, you know, uh, a, a good experience for him. He's he's developing as a person. He's happier than he's been in a long time. Uh, and I think it's great that they're allowing Jonathan to do that. Jonathan is is quietly, after just three episodes, becoming, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, an absolute superstar in the, the second tier of characters. You know, he's he, they don't give him a lot to do, but everything he does, he's doing great. And I'm finding, you know, his portrayal of the uh, uh, the caring brother, the one who comes across as the older brother, even though they're technically twins. Very much the vibe is the older brother looking out for the little brother. And I'm liking the fact that they're not playing sullen teens, you know, hating each other or resenting each other. Uh, it's clear that, you know, uh, you know, these are these are two siblings who who do, you know, love each other and are going to look out for each other. And I think that's great. I agree with you on Jonathan. I'm I'm really impressed by the actor and I'm really impressed by how they're writing the character because they could easily, especially after this episode, have made him um, the bad twin um, in, in the sense that he could have, you know, this is his thing. It's football. It's, it's everything that he did in Metropolis. And in essence, it's everything that was kind of taken away from him. It, it's his high school identity that has been ripped from him. And at least right now, he's really cool with it. And he was really cool with everything in the previous episode when he found out he, allegedly, does not have powers. At least not yet. Potentially, possibly, we shall see. Um, so I, I don't. I, I like what they're doing with him because they could just easily have turned him into the resentful twin. And uh, if they do end up a store like a storyline like in the future once they have powers where one maybe starts using their powers for bad and starts taking advantage of their powers i could see them going that route with a character like that but they aren't writing him like that which is a, a, like incredibly surprising and very refreshing so it makes me really like jonathan a lot Jordan, on the other hand, okay, I 100% agree with you, he was acting like a moody teen throughout this episode, which he's 14 years old. We have to remember he is, a, I guess that's a freshman in high school, so he is going to be a moody teen, plus he has his own um, issues that he's dealing with. My whole thing, be, uh, I just didn't like that he joined the football team. Like, I get the positivity in it, because he's finally, you know, finding 
um, like communion with people. He doesn't. He isn't feeling like the outsiders. So a part of me is overlooking the part that I don't like about that storyline because it is helping a kid who's a little bit socially awkward being accepted by society. But I just hate that he's using his powers to be sort of like the football star. And that's something that maybe I'm just going to have to get over as you know we continue seeing episodes because I feel like that's an unfair advantage for anybody. It's like as if he's on steroids times a thousand. And uh, although they've said, you know, you don't have your father's super strength and this and the other, uh, they did make a point in the episode of saying, you know, oh, he's just a little stronger. And then they're like, nah, you know, I guess he is kind of, you know, way stronger than everybody. So that's just something that isn't really sitting right with me. Although I do so like by your standards, if you were six foot eight, you shouldn't try out for the basketball team because you have an unfair advantage. Well, no, I think height is Jordan different. Was you born might... this way. He's not. He's not taking drugs. He's not cheating. This is how he was born. True. Well, six foot eight, you could still suck. I mean, let's just be real. <laughs> I there mean... have been players who have sucked, even though they were seven feet and above. I'm exactly. just saying that your argument that because you have, you know, a genetic. Uh, advantage or genetic predisposition says that you shouldn't play the game. Well, well it's not the just case, and a lot of people who are playing sports shouldn't be playing sports. It's not just a genetic advantage. I mean, he's half alien. He's half Superman. So that's it's... genetics. That's nothing that he did. It's no choice that he made. He's not doing drugs. He's not cheating. This is how he was born. I get what you're saying in justifying it. The The thing that I keep on remembering, and it's from the Superman saga, and they've mentioned it so much on Superman and Lois, is it's the little things people notice that start catching. You know, they, they notice a little thing, and then they start questioning stuff. And this is a little thing. He's, I mean, he's not a big dude. He's clearly not buff. And it's this is a little thing that could uh, potentially, maybe not Smallville, because, I mean, it, it's a small town that has seen better days. And so, you know, it, it, we've heard of, you know, we've seen stories in the past on film and TV of these small towns that all of a sudden, you know, the high school football team is what really changes the entire mood of the town. You know, they start winning and that sort of thing. Friday Night Lights. Um, so maybe that's where they're going with this. But then the other teams from the outside world start looking in and they start questioning what's going on. That's the only thing that I kind of worry about. It's like, you know, you're supposed to be hiding your powers. And in essence, you're kind of putting them out there as, you know, he's the show pony now. Well, we don't know if he is, but he it looks like he's going to be the show pony of the team. So that's just something that worries me. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he was trying out for, you know, a glamorous position. He's not, he wasn't, you know, being the quarterback. He's not being a wide receiver or running back or anything like that. You know, his, uh, his you know, uh, you know, strength, you know, enhanced, you know, because they haven't really established that. I think it would be a good idea to just go out to the barn and see how much you can press, how strong, how much stronger than average is he? Because what we've seen him do has been quite strong, but not superhumanly strong. You know, he is, you know, you know, if I was to go up against a, uh, you know, a defensive uh, tackle from the uh, the NFL, they would throw me back equally as far uh, as he was throwing those guys back. So while it does give him a slight advantage, I would argue that, you know, until they establish that, oh, you can lift a ton or something like that, that, you know, it's not necessarily more of an advantage than someone who just happened to be born big and strong. Okay. 
hopefully they do give us like the parameters of his strength. I know it's still early. I think it's yeah, I think they don't want to lock it down possibly for that reason. And also because I think that, you know, they're going to be having this as a developing thing that his powers will morph over time. Yeah. My hope is that he doesn't get too cocky and start taking advantage of his powers. Um, because he, he, you know, we've seen him go very emo on his parents. And uh, and we've also seen him have really tense situations at school, like when he was, you know, uh, you know, sort of pressed up against the locker and uh, it looked like he was going to let it rip. Um, you know, there are moments that I worry with Jordan and um, yeah. So that's, I think that's also another reason why I'm kind of iffy about this storyline. Although I, as I said, I do like where it's going with him because clearly he's been a teen that has been in essence a recluse in his house you know just you know sitting on like a bean bag uh, playing video games so this is allowing him to actually be social and uh, and and to maybe calm or not calm but like soothe some of the anxiety that he has which is a nice thing now let's talk about the helicopter parroting um, parenting Okay, so another issue within this storyline was the fact that Clark was, in essence, if we're going to look at it just as a black and white issue, he was spying on his kids. He was listening in. We saw a moment, uh, there was like a brief moment of kind of levity of like, oh, you know, so you, have you ever listened to people? Has there been anything weird and that kind of stuff? And so we saw like the lightness of having the super hearing. And then we even saw kind of like, you know, just Clark... Uh, embracing his super hearing at a certain point in the farm, but then he zeroed in on his kids, and it was a it was that tense moment with Sean and uh, and Jordan at school, and then all of a sudden Clark appears, and in essence saves Jordan from a moment of maybe him potentially accidentally using his powers. We don't know. Um, but the kids are very angry about it, which leads him to have a conversation with Lois about it, which leads us to learn a little bit of their lore, because apparently he did it to her, and she was mad at him for two weeks, but ended up forgiving him because uh, she was madly in love with him, and she was just like, you know, make the same promise to them. And the promise was a simple one. I won't ever do it again. What did you think of this little tidbit? Because uh, I, I thought it was interesting. It was nice to throw in the Superman and Lois, you know, early stage of dating lore. Um, and, and what did you think of how the kids reacted to it? Well, one of the things that I do like about uh, Superman and Lois so far is that they're taking sort of real world situations and and tweaking them slightly by adding the, uh, the superhero uh, dynamics to that. In this case, you know, the... Uh, the tension over your kids starting at a new school, you know, like I see parents all the time, you know, walking their kids to the school in the morning or waiting for them, uh, you know, or or watching as they walk to the school after they've dropped them off and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's a very real and understandable uh, thing to do. It's probably something that he's always done, you know, just because you keep an eye on your family. That's what you would do as a as a concerned parent, um, particularly, you know, with them starting in a new school and particularly with Jordan, you know, potentially being a danger 
danger to those around him. So I think it was an understandable thing, uh, even if it's not necessarily a justifiable thing. I can kind of understand where the uh, the twins were coming from uh, with their resentment, because it's really no different than finding out that your parents have been, you know, monitoring your Internet usage or tracking your cell phone without your knowledge or anything like that. It's really just taking a very real world situation that parents uh, and kids deal with as the kids grow older and, uh uh, they have to, you know, negotiate the boundaries of their freedom, but they're putting it into a, you know, a, a, uh, a crazy CW verse type show. So I thought it felt very real to that, including the, uh, the resolution to that, which is, you know, the promise never to do it again. And, you know, hope, you know, maybe they'll hook them up with, uh, you know, little Superman calling devices like Lois has as well. But uh, I thought it felt, you know, as I say, it felt very real. I think, you know, it, it mirrored in a strange, you know, CW verse way. The sort of negotiations that go on between parents and and their children all the time in every home across the country. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. I'm glad that the the drama kind of squashed a little bit. Um, although Jordan did sort of latch on to uh, you know he he's he's really good at just trying to you know be like well you did that well, I guess I could do it which is a very teen thing to do cuz he did that to Clark about keeping secrets and that sort of thing um but I'm glad that little thing was done within just a couple scenes uh because we as we've seen on the CW sometimes they drag things out a little bit longer than they need to especially when it comes to drama um okay so uh, let's see uh, okay Jordan making friends with the team and his moment with Sean. What did you think of that? Uh, because they do, I don't know anything about football. So I guess, you know, they were just, they rammed into each other. I guess that's a practice thing. I don't know. Um, but uh, so he knocks Sean back and then he's like, I'm sorry for, you know, kissing your girl. That wasn't cool. And then he gives him his, his hand and he, you know, he's like, yeah, it wasn't cool but, or whatever. But it looks like they squashed their beef as well. What'd you think of that moment? For, uh, well, for Jordan. it's a bit of a cliche, but it's true. The idea that, you know, you have to stand up to a bully. And what Jordan was doing was because he was the new kid in a new school and also because he's worried about his powers, uh, you know, he was, you know, really not standing up for himself. Now, I don't want him to be in a situation where he's, you know, punching out people in the halls or anything like that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's he's he's sort of being the uh, the Clark Kent side of things. Uh, you know, the nebbishy, not wanting to be noticed, you know, keep your head down. But you could see that it wasn't just, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sarah's uh, ex, uh, you know, that was treating him that way. It was, you know, the other, you know, uh, jocks and stuff like that. So I think by joining the team, even if he hadn't been a superstar on the team, uh, I think it would have had a similar effect that, you know, because, you know, if he'd made the team, assuming, you know, he didn't completely humiliate himself, you know, once you're a part of a team, you know, once you're a, a part of that group, uh, you know, they bring you in. You are, you know, uh, part of the in crowd. Uh, and, you know, they look out for you. They don't treat you the way they did before. So I think even if he hadn't been quite as good as he was, as he actually ended up being, I think it still would have had a similar effect. And the fact that he was able to uh, uh, to apologize, uh, you know, for uh, for his slight, uh, I think, uh, you know, really showed not just that, you know, the socializing aspect of that, but the maturity of it that we hadn't gotten a lot of from Jordan. Jordan hasn't, you know, compared to Jonathan, Jordan hasn't been like, honestly, the, the dynamic between them is, you know, between an 18 year old and a 14 year old. Um, the two of them, it's, it's, it's impossible to believe they're twins, you know, based on the way they're, they're uh, being portrayed. Um, but I do think that, you know, uh, you know, and the fact that he was willing to accept, you know, his dad, you know, uh, joining the team as, uh, as, you know, coach Kent, um, 
uh, you know, really worked out well. It gave us, you know, a really nice resolution to something that, as you say, in many of the Arrowverse shows or the CWverse shows, would have lagged, you know, dragged out over, you know, five or six moody, brooding, oh, I don't want to talk about it episodes. Uh, at least they're dealing with these situations fairly quickly. And and I do appreciate that. I'm, you know, I I don't like things to be dragged out the way that, you know, Arrowverse would, or Arrow, I should say, uh, would drag things out for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I agree with you on that. Um, it was a, it was a nice moment of, um, it was a nice moment of, Growth, I would say, um, for Jordan. He just seemed much more uh, grown in that moment than he does on occasion. Um, they do seem to, as you said, they seem to write Jordan as like a, you know a typical teen, and Jonathan is uh, you know a little bit more adjusted. I know that he that Jordan has the has anxiety issues and that sort of thing, um, but. Um, so maybe that's why they're they're writing both like that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess you know we still have to wait and see. It's still early into uh, the series. So we had some uh, parent-child drama over on the Kent side of the show. We also had it on the Cushing side, and we were we sort of peeled back additional layers to this family in this episode. And uh, it was—I thought it was really fascinating stuff. Um, so uh, we start off the episode uh, with uh, Sarah. Uh, what does she do? She broke up with her boyfriend. She also quit the cheer squad, which apparently is coached by Lana. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we we got a little bit of intel from her as to why she did it. You know, she she was like, it's the first week of school, and uh, she wanted to change everything, basically. And uh, Lana ends up approaching her about it in front of uh, the twins, and, um, and she was like, you'd say anything in front of them. And the their little picture-perfect family charade that I guess uh, Lana was trying to keep intact in front of the small town, because as we know, small town people talk quick, um... She it started to crumble when uh, when Sarah was like you know why are we you know you're like the the what was it the the woman the most full of crap woman in uh, in Smallville she was like you know my youngest sister she's a bully you know dad sleeps on the couch you have to take a pill to go to sleep you know and all this kind of stuff it was. Um, you know, it was maybe not the best conversation to have in a diner full of uh, Smallvilleites. But later on, uh, mother and daughter end up having a one-on-one at the house. And uh, at the end of it all, you know, we we saw Lana throughout this episode really worried about Sarah. And it's because she didn't have the answer to just the one question that she wanted. Why did she do what she did the previous summer? And which is, it, it appeared, we had gotten a little bit of intel that... Uh, that uh, Sarah had tried to take her life. And in essence, her answer was that she felt trapped. She didn't feel like she had a future. She felt trapped in the town, trapped in her family, trapped, trapped, trapped. And uh, Lana even took it like, you know, did you feel like you're, you're becoming me? And she was like, no, that it wasn't that, you know, she just, you know, felt like she was trapped in, in the world. And that leads to Lana sort of admitting her own unhappiness that, you know, she was brought up always being 
told to uh, smile to your neighbor, you know, hide the pain within. And she's like, sometimes when she's smiling, you know, that's not necessarily how she feels on the inside. Because as she jokingly said, she's the most full of crap lady in Smallville. What'd you think of the mother and daughter? Uh, uh, I don't want to call it drama, but just the mother and daughter opening up to each other. Um, there was a little drama in the beginning, but uh, it led to a really interesting conversation between parent and child. Yeah, it was a really effective scene. I was kind of surprised because I, I really wasn't expecting, you know, uh, Sarah and her mom to, you know, be that important to the show early on. I figured, you know, it all would have been all Kent's all the time. I do like the fact that they dealt with that. You know, the, the question of, you know, uh, you know, uh, and, and again, I think it's very understandable that, uh, you know, Lana, you know, fearing for what her daughter tried to do and, and needing to know the reasons for it and, and, you know, pushing for those answers when, you know, really Sarah just wants to be left alone and, and you know, not talk about it, you know, but the parent will push. So, again, it felt, you know, very real to me, very grounded and, uh, you know, as I said, surprisingly moving. I thought, you know, the two of those uh, those two actors together uh, have a really great chemistry. They felt like a mother and daughter. You got that in the earlier scene, the the tension, the anger. When we were talking about, you know, Jordan lashing out being the the typical teen. And you know what? Uh, Sarah was exactly the same way with her mom. And then just as quickly realizing later on, you know, like I even right at the beginning of it, where uh, where Lana comes to the open door and knocks it and knocks on it, and Sarah says, "Come in," you know, uh, just you know, because she could have been the sullen and and turned away or anything like that. But no, she invited her mom in, and you know, she's you know, uh, perhaps a bit mercurial, uh, but is at least fairly quick to forgive uh, in the situation. And it led to you know what I thought was like an absolute standout scene between those two. Yeah, I agree. I'm. I am really enjoying the Cushings. Like I don't enjoy uh, uh, Papa Cushing. <laughs> Let's just be real, because he seems to be way deep into the Morgan Edge side of things. But uh, I, I'm really enjoying Lana a lot. And as someone that really isn't all that familiar with Smallville, um, I, I'm just enjoying the character. I'm finding her incredibly refreshing, very likable. Clearly um, tortured, uh, but in a good way because it's leading to some really interesting uh, character work. Uh, and Sarah is really cool as well. I'm enjoying Sarah a lot. Um, I was a little worried about like what they were gonna do with her. Was she just in essence the potential love interest for Jordan? And while that is there. Uh, there was a smile uh, from her at the end uh, in, in regards to uh, when, when she was talking to Jordan about uh, watching him play football versus her being uh, an active participant as a cheer person. Uh, but they're making her her own person, and I really like that. Um, I, I like the complexities uh, of Sarah and the complexities that Lana are bringing to the show as well. And I also loved the moment where she was like, not now, Clark. And then later she did apologize, uh, which I thought was uh, very sweet. Okay, moving right along to a big story. Well, not that the other stories weren't big, because they were big in their own world. But this one was explosive, dare I say. So... Uh, Lois is investigating Morgan Edge. We learned that she she did uh, print the article that was uh, heavily altered 
by the Daily Planet uh, at the Smallville Gazette. And that leads uh, a, a woman, uh, a Mrs. Powell, to show up and give them a tip. Basically, her son is missing. Her son was working for Morgan Edge, and it was something shifty and shady and precarious because uh, she received a phone call, the final phone call that she, that she received from her son, that, uh, you know, this isn't what, it w- what I thought it was going to be. If I don't make it back home, you know, this, that, or the other. So they get a little bit of intel. Uh, Chrissy is hesitant. She she doesn't feel like it's enough. And uh, she also was like, you know, did you smell the alcohol in her breath? Are you sure we can trust her? You know, we, we haven't verified any of this. But Lois's hunch is that there's more to this. And uh, we saw a man uh, observing them, uh, you know, getting the tip. And then we see later on uh, that uh, Lois's station wagon goes kaboom. When she talks to Clark about it, she's like, you know, this is the first time this has happened to you, and and, and I will back anything that, that you believe. So what do you believe? Um, do you believe there's more to this? And she says that she does. So uh, later on, we see uh, her meeting up with, um, she was going to meet up with people that also had experienced um, missing um missing offsprings. I don't want to call them kids because they look like grown-ass humans. Uh, but they're, they're, they're missing kids. And uh, she finds her, the, the um, Mrs. Powell, she finds her barely breathing. And there's a powered person there who has super powers, like super strength. Uh, Superman and him, they get into a fight. And, uh, it, I mean, he goes toe-to-toe with the Man of Steel, at which, but but Superman ends up taking him down, and Lois is wondering why does Morgan Edge need super powered people? At the end of the episode, we see another powered person, basically uh, laser vision, the dude. Um, yeah, and, and she ends up calling someone. She's like, "It's done. I'll call the team." So let's talk about this. Clearly, Morgan Edge is doing nefarious stuff, so much so that uh, Chrissy even apologizes to Lois and uh, creates a little murder board at the Smallville Gazette uh, with uh, photos and and all that kind of stuff. What did you think of this, uh, Professor? Clearly, Edge is is doing something nefarious with powered people. Um, yeah, what did you think of this storyline? And, and did you find it as exciting as I did? I know that we sort of talked about that uh, sometimes investigative journalism is a little mundane. It's a little boring. You know, it's little phone calls and interviewing people and that sort of thing. This was actually really exciting. You know what? It was. It was uh, well shot. It was well crafted, um, you know, with some moments of levity, you know, after, uh, you know, Lois's uh, car is torched, uh, you know, Chrissy got a good line in there. Uh, and then when she asked to borrow uh, Clark's truck, he said, you are, are you going to bring it back? And she goes, 50, 50, um, you know, just, uh, you know, you, and again, I think it, it establishes, you know, this is not, you know, Lois Lane's first rodeo. She's been doing this for a long time. You know, as, as Clark said, it's hardly her first Molotov cocktail. You know, she's been threatened by the best of them. And uh, so, you know, she handles the situation really well. Um, when she shoved the pen in the guy's ear, I thought, wow, that is interesting. And then, you know, we find out he's powered. Um, 
I think under ordinary circumstances, you know, you're a casual viewer, you might be, oh my God, you know, what's going on? But I think it's it's become, you know, something of a trope in in many of these shows that, you know, if you are a, a billionaire bad guy, you're going to have super superpowered, superpowered hench people, you know, hench thugs. Um, and, you know, so I think this, you know, unnamed dude, uh, you know, is obviously that. And, you know, it might be that, you know, he's, you know, growing them in a vat or something like that. Um, you know, so they just kill this one and then thaw out the next one uh, or whatever. Um, it was interesting. I was, you know, frankly, more interested by the uh, the appearance of the uh, uh, the second uh, super who had, you know, heat vision that looked an awful lot like uh, Superman's heat vision. And when you think about that, so you've got one person who seems to have strength and invulnerability comparable mm-hmm. to Superman's, but didn't seem to have the ability to fly and didn't demonstrate any ability to use heat vision. And then you have someone who just shows up out of nowhere. Maybe she flew there uh, and, uh, and heat vision someone. It does kind of, you know, make me wonder whether there's uh, you know, a more overt Superman connection going on here that might be, you know, uh, part of the, the larger investigation that Lois is going to have to unveil. Yeah. I noticed that as well. I mean, it looks like they have, Superman's superpowers, although it's like pieces of his powers. Um, I, I wonder what um, the woman at the end has. Uh, just enough why that woman was Edge's assistant. Um, yes, I yeah. noticed that, yeah. It's the same actor. So, so Edge clearly is surrounding himself with people that are superpowered that have elements of Superman's abilities which is interesting. Uh, apparently the gentleman that had the super strength, uh, he's known as Subject 11. Um, I don't think I remember them saying that in the episode, but uh, I, I was just looking up the actor, and, and that's the character name that they gave him. Um, so I, I don't know if that's important. Uh, if they're Subject 11, does that mean that they're Subject 1 through 10? And do they also have superpowers and, and that sort of thing? It's fascinating that they are Superman powers. So does that mean that Morgan Edge is creating a his own team, as she said, of people that have elements of Superman's powers as a means to fight Superman? Question mark or to have his own super army? Question mark. Um, that's going to be interesting. Um, I. I um, you know, we didn't get any of uh, Captain Luther in this episode. We didn't get any of Sam Lane in this episode. It was a nice little break from sort of like the um, Superman of it all. Uh, you know, Superman's cape was, was you know, there was a little bit of a shadow from the cape in this episode. But it really was more so focused on Smallville and the family dynamics in Smallville. Um, you know, if you take out Lois's storyline, uh, it really was just that. Uh, Lois's storyline is really what sort of tied in Superman a little bit. And we did get a, a moment of superheroics at the start of the episode as well. But outside of that, it really was more so a family drama in this episode. I, I did like the teases of, of potentially what's to come with Morgan Edge with uh, Lois's storyline. Um, it does open the door for with a lot with a lot of questions in regards to what they're going to do with that and if captain luther and and the edge storyline you know maybe will come to like a crux at some point which i kind of do think it it will have to if you have someone uh, like captain luther that in essence at the moment 
hates Superman uh, for what uh, an alternate version did on his Earth. If uh, if uh, Superman is able to um, he's like break through with him, uh, Captain Luther could end up being an ally if uh, he has to take down, he being Superman, has to take down Morgan Edge's super posse. It's a whole, Indeed, whole uh, I'm, I find myself hoping that we don't end up in a situation where, you know, there's uh, there's going to be a, a covid induced uh, uh, hiatus coming up in a couple of weeks. And I hope we aren't sort of left hanging, uh, you know, for a period of time after Supergirl comes back. Uh, you know, I hope they do manage to get to, you know, a, a sort of, you know, logical semi pause at least, uh, because, you know, I think it could be frustrating, uh, if they're building up a lot of these questions and then we have to abandon them for four or five weeks before the show can come back. That is true. Yes. I, I did read that. Uh, for the listeners that don't know, we have two more episodes of Superman and Lois, and then they are going to be taking a hiatus. Supergirl returns on the 30th of this month and Supergirl will take Superman and Lois's time slot and uh, Supergirl will be on for, I believe, I can't remember the exact number, but it's like five to seven episodes. And then Superman and Lois returns. I'm assuming Superman and Lois only has maybe like 13 episodes for its first season. Um, especially because it's, you know, the CW schedule just started so late and it was a new series. And usually uh, freshman series get the, you know, get the 13 episode order and then typically they'll get renewed, and uh, then more orders, more I should say, more episodes are ordered to complete the season. Because of how the season started on the CW, and it started so late, I, I don't think it's going to get usually like the back nine episodes. Uh, I think we might just be getting thirteen episodes uh, as well. Supergirl, I believe, is also just thirteen episodes for its final season, so we'll be getting like half of. Uh, the season of Supergirl and then it'll go on hiatus as we get the final episodes of Superman and Lois and then we'll get the rest of Supergirl. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Supergirl um, inherits Superman and Lois' spots. Right now, Superman and Lois, if you can believe it, it's the highest rated show on the CW. Uh, it, it's even beating The Flash, which was the highest rated show on the CW. So that's quite fascinating. Um, Supergirl wasn't doing as well ratings-wise as, as even The Flash last season. So we'll see what happens with that. I mean, it is Supergirl's final season, so I mean, I, ratings, what do they matter? When it's your final season? You know what I'm saying, Professor? Yeah, and and it'll be interesting too, like moving it out from Sunday night. Sunday night is, you know, has over the past few years become sort of a powerhouse uh, for, for television. It's, it's a much more competitive night uh, probably than, than Tuesdays. And so I would think that I've always said that, you know, uh, flash and Supergirl back to back, uh, make for a good pairing. So, um, uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's just that, you know, I am starting to get hooked in, you know, this very grown up adult, uh, you know, as you say, it's, you know, Friday night lights with, you know, the occasional superhero fight. Uh, and I'm finding it, you know, really interesting and, uh, you know, uh, growing up is sort of like, you know, a, a less gritty version of season one of black lightning. Um, but, and then, you know, recently black lightning has gone a little crazy. Um, but you know, it does feel, you know, much more like a, a grounded half hour or not a grounded half hour, but a grounded hour long family drama, uh, much more so than it does a, a CW verse show. Yeah. 
I agree with you on that. And also the visuals. The visuals are, are a big uh, selling point for the series because it, it has its own unique look. And uh, that has actually led, I don't know if you read uh, an article about this, but the CW is in talks with HBO Max to co-finance its original shows, which is fascinating because HBO Max is, is um, I believe, the home of uh, Superman and Lois. It's, yeah, it's... It's the CW verse is going to be is the streaming home. Uh, HBO Max is the streaming of the of the CW verse outside of the CW app, and uh, it looks like uh, based off of how well Superman and Lois has gotten reviews in regards to its visuals, that the CW might want a little bit additional money so that they can get the visuals of the other shows up to snuff. Which, um, that could be a game changer. I mean, Superman and Lois has become a game changer for the CW. I do wonder if there was ever a moment when Superman and Lois was not going to be on the CW. Because um, I also read another article a few days ago that apparently extended episodes are going to be um, streaming exclusively on the CW app. So, I don't know what that means in regards to how many more minutes we're getting. The very first episode of Superman and Lois was extended. It was 90 minutes with commercials, so that means it was probably maybe 55 minutes of actual content. Uh, so if if uh, they did film or if they have enough content for you know, maybe a 45, 50, 50, 55-minute episode versus what we would usually get um, with commercials on the CW, which is about 41 minutes of content. Um, I do wonder why they have all that additional content. Like, did they plan this? Are they just throwing in deleted scenes? Or is is it actual important content that um, is going to be available for those that are going to be viewing it uh, streaming-wise? And uh, and and in in general, what does that mean? Like, did that mean that they were maybe potentially planning on having it as a streaming show and not on the CW? Clearly, the budget is different for Superman and Lois. Um, any thoughts on any of that, Professor? I don't know if you read any of those articles. Uh, no, I do think shows like this, you know, are, are valuable. And, and, you know, when we're looking at ratings, that's only half the uh, uh, story. And honestly, these days, you wonder whether it's even half because they're also looking at you know, the, the life after, how long a tale do shows like this have? You know, when you get a show like uh, Flash that's been around for, you know, seven seasons, uh, you know, that's a back catalog. And, you know, someone discovering the show now would then want to go back and watch those on whatever streaming service they were on. And I think, you know, one of the uh, changes we've seen over the past five years is that, you know, whereas before the CW would produce a show and then just whatever they got from Netflix was gravy uh, or whatever they got from, you know, selling the Canadian rights, you know, uh, was was, you know, uh, you know, uh, an afterthought. I think those things are more important now, uh, you know, because the ratings aren't as high. They're not making as much from the ads as they would before. So I do think the streaming is uh, is much more important. Um, it's, it's and it's, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, because, you know, the CW, while technically it's part of uh, of Viacom. Uh, Viacom doesn't really have its own streaming service. It does, you know, CBS All Access uh, is the Paramount Network now, I believe, uh, or Paramount Plus. Um, but uh, yeah, and and you know, there are a lot of DC properties at HBO Max. Uh, you know, famously the Snyderverse, 
stuff and, uh, you know, uh, some of the older stuff as well. So it does kind of make it a natural home. And, you know, if there is a market for people watching these things, um, you know, it kind of makes sense. And yeah, they can, you know, strike a deal that they get a little more money to keep up this this cinematic approach. Um, and part of that, I think, too, is that, you know, compared to, you know, uh, Arrow or not Arrow, but uh, compared to Flash or, or Black Lightning, you know, the, the special effects in this aren't as as splashy artist cg uh for the most part a lot of it you know uh while i wouldn't say it's necessarily you know practical effects or anything like that it's it's much more simpler it 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 holds you know back to you know the tradition of superman the movie so i think there's a certain timeless quality uh to the special effects that you don't get when you're comparing that to something like you know wandavision or uh or or flash or something like that where the 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 computer generate computer generated effects are obviously cg uh, and obviously expensive and take a lot of time uh but yeah i think it does help to give this the uh, the cinematic feel uh to this show uh and you know star girl was in a similar situation that was a a show that was uh, originally produced just for a streaming service uh, and then, you know, uh, after COVID hit, they repurposed it to put it on the CW. Um, and it had a very different visual feel uh, to it as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's Doom Patrol, now that I think about it. It's interesting that these uh, streaming shows do seem to have that that different feel to them. I guess, and part of it yeah, too might be because when you're producing a streaming show, you are uh, assuming that people are going to engage with the show you know, over the, the full arc of it. Whereas when you're doing a, a weekly episodic show, you know, you might lose a hundred thousand people, you know, uh, from week to week or gain a hundred thousand people from week to week. And that has to affect your storytelling on some level. Yeah, that's true. And also I, I would assume one would assume that the budget for a streaming show is a teeny tiny bit more than like network television. So the fact that the CW is, uh, at least, uh, getting feelers out to HBO max to see if HBO max would be willing to co-finance, uh, especially their superhero shows. I feel like the quality of the visuals and uh, the more cinematic nature of uh, the series will will be amplified, which might be kind of interesting. I, I do wonder if they do get approved, uh, how that would change the established series that are that at least will be here next season, like The Flash, um, Batwoman, Legends, etc. Hell, maybe we might even see the Legends actually suiting up a little bit more often than we usually do over on Legends of Tomorrow. All right, Professor, was there anything that I missed, a teeny tiny little moment uh, in the episode that you would like to discuss before we head into the MVP? Um, there were some great lines uh, from uh, from the twins. Uh, I think it was uh, Jordan who was referring to uh, uh, Superman's heat vision as, you know, you know, something like, you know, laser kill death rays. And, and Clark just said, just heat vision will suffice. Uh, Jonathan referring to uh, uh, Jor-El as uh, Jor-El Tabar. Um, uh, was cute, but my favorite moment, and it was just like, it was like less than a second of a shot. It was right at the beginning of the episode when they were doing the painting scene. And, uh, you know, the family were fighting each other with paintbrushes and having that sort of, you know, uh, classic sitcom moment. And, uh, and then Clark is called away. And, you know, the, the look on the twins' faces that they're so stunned that that happened. And, uh, and Lois says, well, we don't have to hide that from you anymore. And then she took advantage of their distraction to hit them with a paintbrush. Just that like little, little, you know, Tiny little last second of a shot. Um, I don't know whether it was in the script. I don't know whether uh, Bitsy Teller came up with that on her own. But it just felt so great. A, because that is totally, you know, uh, in Lois's character. And also because, you know, she's seen Clark do this 
thousands of times. So for her, it's old hat, but for them, it's like, whoa. Uh, I, so I, I really like that. It's just, you know, little character things like that, you know, that uh, I think uh, raise a, a show up uh, in, in really good ways. I agree. And I love the shade from the kids as well. Uh, there was another line of, uh, you know, when we went up to Elsa's ice palace or something like that, that it just... Yes. <laughs> and, and Lois, I think Lois was like, you know, come on, or something like that, or Clark. It was just, it was good. All right. So, let's get into the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Professor, who's your MVP? I know somewhat surprisingly, or not surprisingly, given what we've just said, I'm going to give it to Jonathan. I am really liking how this young actor is playing the character. And partially because, you know, in comparison to most of the other teens that we're seeing, and, and honestly, most of the other teens that we see on the CW-verse shows, um, he's playing, uh, you know, a kid who has his head screwed on straight, who's looking out for his brother, um, you know, who's not resentful. He's the one who who gave up, you know, his... Uh, you know, his his football career at, you know, one of the top schools in the country, uh, you know, to come to be the number two quarterback in Smallville. Um, but he's, you know, he's there for his brother. He's, you know, uh, and even though he occasionally, you know, his his, uh, his mom or his dad will shoot him down or give him a look for the his funny lines. He's doing the funny lines really well. They don't feel forced. They don't feel mean spirited. They just feel like the sort of thing that, you know, a, a smart mouth team would say. So I'm really, really liking his portrayal. I like it. I'm going to give mine to Lana. I really enjoyed Emmanuel Shrieky in this episode. I thought she was fantastic. I, I just love what they did with the character. I, I loved um, her trying to keep it together in public. Um, I, that moment with, uh, with Kyle in the car where she's like really trying to keep up appearances. And then just sort of see it all unravel in public, and then her one-on-one with her daughter. Um, I just really enjoyed her uh, from beginning to end in this episode. And I was really surprised by that because she just seemed like a sort of whatever character in the first two episodes. She was kind of there. I was like wondering, uh, what are they going to do with her? And man, they just knocked it out the park, at least in this episode. I found myself really enjoying the character. Now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 red capes? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Fortress of Solitude or Elsa's Ice Palace. Professor? A very solid, very enjoyable episode. Um, you know, not I did, I wasn't blown away by anything, um, but I just, you know, a, a solid, enjoyable uh, hour of television. Uh, I'll give it eight and a half red capes. All right. And that's exactly what I thought as well. I'm giving it an 8.5 as well. It was a solid hour of TV and, and it was a nice break uh, from everything uh, super uh, is in regards to Captain Luther, Sam Lane and all that kind of drama. It was great just to see the family dynamics in Smallville, as well as a little tease of what's to come with Morgan Edge. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Smallville Gazette. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? 
Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Small Hill Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Smallville Gazette every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night.